1: As a small business owner, you are the business and you know the time you're spending on payroll and HR could be spent in a hundred better ways. Ceridian PowerPay is fast, simple and intuitive software trusted by over 40,000 Canadian small business owners like you. Automate your HR and payroll processes, keep track of compliance and pay your people from your desktop or mobile phone. Free up time to focus on what really matters when it comes to your business and get back to doing what you love with Ceridian
0: PowerPay. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Ladies and gentlemen, entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. We often talk on this show about the challenges of startup entrepreneurs as if they were in this all alone. But so many of them aren't alone. They are leaders and they have all the awesome opportunities and many responsibilities that come with leading employee teams. So we're going to explore all that on the show today with our guest, Stuart Dukoff. Stewart is an employment and labor lawyer as well as a founder of E2R, which powers the Ceridian HR Advisory Services Solution. He's also partner and f- co-founder of w- Woolgar Van Wicken Cosgriff Dukhoff LLP, where he leads the firm's employment and labor law practice. Prior to founding E2R and the law firm, Stewart practiced for many years with one of Canada's largest and most prestigious law firms. Stewart is one of only a small group of employment and labor lawyers certified by HRPA as a certified human resources leader, CHRL. Welcome to the show, Stuart. Thanks, Rick, much appreciated. Oh, we're glad to have you here. Um, Just before we get officially started, let's give people a preview of uh, what we're gonna talk about because it's important that entrepreneurs know they're not gonna waste their time by listening to this podcast when they could switch over to another one. So what are the most important one or two ideas that you'd like entrepreneurs to take away from our conversation today?
1: Well, entrepreneurs have a thousand and one things to deal with on any given day. Um, I'm going to apologize in advance because I have to add a thousand (laughs) and two. And, and that's simply because of, uh, of course, COVID-19 and the government, orders that have emanated from the pandemic. And where we are in the process right now is we relaunch gradually in various phases, depending on which province you are in, you'll be in a particular phase of reopening. But the bottom line from a human resources employment law perspective is how do you do it safely? And so really the theme in our conversation today is How do we relaunch? How do we get employees back into the workplace? And how do we do it safely in compliance with occupational health and safety legislation? Uh, So often we think of occupational health and safety legislation in the context of manufacturing, mining, those type of industries. But now the office, the high tech, right? market it all now relates or has a connection to occupational health and safety because we have to do it safely so that's where we are and no matter what you do no matter what industry you're in health and safety now is front and center for you in light of covid 19.
0: right well let's jump right into it uh why don't we so from a labor law standpoint how do you think COVID-19 has impacted business in Canada so far?
1: Well, it is a, uh, for those, of course, that uh, are non-essential services, um, it's been very difficult, of course, uh, to operate. Uh, if they've been able to operate remotely, then, of course, they've been able to do so. For those that operate in essential sectors, uh, then it's been uh, more opportunity to continue to operate. Uh, The real challenge right now is to look at what you do as a business activity and determine how we are going to do it now uh, in the new world. Um, And of course, strategies regarding working remotely have become very, very significant. And so we're all learning as we move forward as to how to best respond to our reality. Um, And in many cases, many cases, it's going to be a a little bit of, at least for a period of time, a reduced reality in terms of uh, what we can do. But of course, there are businesses out there, Rick, that are are taking open quotes, advantage. I don't mean to denigrate in any way. The whole point about the business world is where there are opportunities and gaps We'll take advantage of it because not only does it advantage you, but it advantages your clients. So, you know, there are opportunities out there and we're seeing some of it play out in real time.
0: What kind of opportunities are you talking about? These are business opportunities. Can you give me a couple examples?
1: Well, as we're seeing in terms of just in terms of the Zooms of the world, um, I have very experienced deal with a very experienced business people um, who will be on their, literally their first Zoom video meeting. Um, And their response is, wow, this is pretty cool, (laughs) right? And so it's rather remarkable to get that kind of reaction from people who have been in the business world for some time. But that type of communication wasn't required uh, in, uh, in their particular business activity. And now being forced to rely upon it, there's a perception that, you know, hold it a second. This is quite effective. And instead of selling somebody on a conference call who's in Vancouver on my product or server, service and I'm in Toronto, now I get them on a Zoom video and there's that human interaction now it's not perfect but it's certainly better so there's i think a lot of opportunity out there um you know of course with all these services that are delivering food of course to your door that's been significant as well uh, and many other opportunities for uh, greater communication uh, between parties I think has been significant um, and, and you know so much more to come as we come out of this in the bio obviously in the pharmaceutical area um, in healthcare we're realizing of course uh, what is deficient uh, in part in the healthcare field and so there'll be plenty of opportunity uh, particularly when the dust settles a little bit more uh, to look at where those gaps or opportunities lie in the entrepreneurial
0: mindset Um, we'll find a way. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, they're they're seeing so many examples of that. So I think that's a great point. But let's get right back back into the nitty nitty gritty here, though, because we've got so many people in distress now. We have overstressed employees and we've got overstressed bosses uh, trying to figure out the best ways to move ahead, trying to keep things together and keep things as normal as they can when everything is abnormal. Does that turn into friction? Are you seeing increasing problems that that, 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 that are coming on your desk as people yes. negotiate with this?
1: Well, the biggest challenge is the perception of the COVID-19 danger, as it were. All right, so if I'm an employee and I'm asked to come into work, um, my response may very well be, I don't want to take the, t- the t- Transit, public transit. Right. Right. I'm too concerned. I have a relative who lives with me who may be more susceptible or more vulnerable to COVID-19 as it relates to perhaps some form of underlying medical condition. So I'm an employee who the employer wants on board back on the physical premises. The employee has concerns from a health and safety perspective, given his or her personal circumstance. And now what happens? Can the employer insist that the employee attend at work because the employer has engaged or implemented all the appropriate safeguards as recommended by the appropriate health authorities, including social distancing, You know, perhaps plexiglass barriers where appropriate uh, ppe personal protective equipment that's being made available scheduling properly so there's no overlap in employees making sure even in common areas that we don't we ensure there are no breaks where all the employees congregate in one location in other words the employer taking all the appropriate proactive measures to limit right, employees for the most part, breaching the two-meter rule of
0: social distancing. So don't keep us in suspense. What's the answer? What well, who's right? And,
1: right. So the so there you go. And and Rick, that's the very question. So you have the employer who does all the right things, and the employee says, "I'm still concerned. I don't want to come in." Now we find ourselves if we're going there into the legal arena, and that's now the occupational health and safety legislation. And I, as an employer have an obligation to ensure I take all those steps necessary to protect the health and safety of my workers. But if I've done all of that, Rick, well, I'm doing what I need to do. Employee, now you have the obligation to attend at work, but now I have the human resources issue Mm -hmm. because let's say it's a very good employee. Sure, I can insist. I can say to that employee, look, I'm sorry, you have no basis, your concern about public transportation I get it, but it's not an occupational health and safety concern that impacts me as the employer and my workplace that you attend at. So I've made it safe, you have to come, I'm sorry, And provided I mentioned the relative, that can get complicated because there are statutory leaves that may impact on that, there couldn't be human rights, accommodation obligations that the employer has. But just to sort of push away all the legalese, Even if as an employer, I can insist upon attendance from a human resources perspective, you're dealing with an employee who likely has a genuine concern. It may be somewhat, I was going to use the word irrational. That's probably not fair, but an over, it's, 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 exaggerated concern that the employee has and so as an employer how do i respond to that it's not easy so what you try to do like we all do in life and everything in the business world you're always selling 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 well you have to sell them to your own employee and and, and try to appease that employee's concern maybe come in one day then realize six seven days later you haven't contracted anything you're fine then come in two days of the next week right so the idea is from human resources perspective, as an employer, you may have the ability to insist, but that may not be the right strategy. Um, And you may want to find a better uh, process or protocol to encourage employees to gradually attend at work.
0: Interesting. So the law, I guess, is it can be black and white, but when law intersects with people, that's where we say, okay, maybe the law isn't the only thing that matters and there is context and strategy around the actual interaction.
1: Yeah. And, and, and Rick, that's so true because when look at, at, at the, yes, there are laws that have application to the employment relationship. There's no question about it. And we're talking right now about occupational health and safety legislation, which is taking a prominent role in the context of COVID-19. So employers even satisfying their obligation nonetheless have to realize we are dealing with such a unique circumstance that you cannot apply sort of I'll call it old protocols to the to a new set of circumstances Um, and so you have to figure out a way to Navigate with your employees because at the end of the day, what are your employees there for? I don't care if you have 25. three, five, twenty-five. They're all there to help you to get to, you know, that proverbial point B. All right. So if I if I need them, I need them.
0: But let me ask you what the worst case scenario where employees feel that they're being forced to either return to work or quit. And that could be part of a strategy, or at least they think it is because a lot of employers are trying to reduce fixed costs at the, at, uh, at, at, at this time. So are you seeing people doing that? How do you deal with situations like that? The, I, 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 by and
1: large, and, and that understates it, employers – really do approach employment relations uh, positively. Uh, it's, it's only in those unique circumstances where you see, um, let's call it an attempt uh, to abuse, as it were. Um, but as a general statement, employers treat employees pretty well. Um, in those situations where an employee has reason to believe there is a concern then there is a mechanism under all occupational health and safety legislation for an employee to refuse to work so the employee can say for example i was in today and i saw that the employer did not implement the appropriate guidelines to protect our health and safety so for example um, they were encouraging that employees work physically almost together so that they weren't respecting they weren't respecting the social distancing so now i'm concerned i may be asked to do that given the nature of my role so i'm refusing so what happens then you're under occupational health and safety legislation it actually triggers a mandatory investigation by the employer typically together with a health and safety representative or a committee, a member of the committee, depending on the size of the employer, where you now conduct an investigation. If you can remedy the situation, then it's remedied, it's great, the employee goes, continues to work. But if you can't, or the employee refuses and says, I don't think it's still safe, then you literally call the Ministry of Labor. It's called different things in BC, WorkSafe BC in Ontario, Ministry of Labor. You're calling, and you're calling, and an inspector is dispatched
0: so, to the so, workplace. So explain to me how this works. So uh, the the employee doesn't blow the whistle. The employee communicates with the boss, and then the and, and then management calls in the uh, the. You know, typically, the employee would
1: call in, although the the employer would know that that the Ministry of Labor is being okay. called in because they couldn't come to a resolution. Right, like, they didn't come to a deal on this health and safety concern. The employer says, no, I think I've satisfied your concern. The employee says, no, you, no, you haven't. So the process, it's a legal process under the legislation. The employee now, in effect, will call the Ministry of Labor and say, look, I'm refusing to work. I believe I'm endangered. And the Ministry of Labor will send out an inspector. Now, just as a, by way of general statement, more often than not, an employer will be successful in that regard. Um, there were a couple of recent ones, the Toronto Transit Commission. Uh, there was a, you know, about 150 employees, I believe, just stopped working. You had it at a Windsor assembly plant, and, and this is arising from COVID-19. Um, and, you know, an inspector comes out and makes a determination and says, no, I think it's fine. Employees, you have to return to work. So more often than not, the employer's proactive steps are adequate um but that's you know we have a just a snapshot of course of what has happened to date this is going to persist as we open up more and more businesses and employees have concerns um employees will exercise their right to refuse to work from an employer perspective right you've it's it's upending, right? You're trying to you're trying to get your business done, and now you've got maybe an important person saying, "I, I I'm not doing anything."
0: Right now, <clears throat> so I have a theory in life is that you do whatever you can to avoid calling in the lawyers. Does that make sense? Other than me, that's actually- <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so so what we're saying is it is overall, it's best that employees and employers, bosses and and their team, that they you know, talk this over, talk frankly, communicate well with each other. Um, There are um, resources for both sides if they need it. But in general, uh, maybe we just keep it civil.
1: Well, that's a good point, Rick, because that that really underscores, I'll call it the theme of the Occupational Health and Safety Act or legislation across Canada. It's about a joint cooperative approach. That's what it's always been about. Um, and so particularly now in the context of COVID-19, the idea is, look, let's have a open, frank discussion about what the concerns are, and let's see if we can eliminate that concern. Um, so yes, that's the whole idea, is to seek to resolve it on an informal basis first, and if there, if there exists a continuing concern, then you resort to an inspector from the Ministry of Labor. The other thing I just note as well, because it's important for all employers uh, attending on this conversation to understand is employers can't engage in what are called reprisal actions against the employee for having relied on these provisions under occupational health and safety legislation. So if I'm upset as the employer that this employee, I think the employee has an ulterior motive, but I can't really I'm not sure what it is, um, but that employee has exercised his or her right to refuse and even called in the inspector. Well, I can't subsequently, using the draconian example, terminate that employee two weeks later, say it's performance related, but I know, but one of the primary reasons or even one of the reasons I terminated was because he or she aggravated me by calling the inspector from the ministry of labor to come in that's a reprisal action and i can be as that employee reinstated with full back pay um, oh so you've, you've got to be careful um, as an employer uh, there are two things you as an employer when an employee says i don't want to work you've got to make sure you don't emotionally respond right because often in a, su- a supervisors who have to get work done right certain budgets by a certain time they get very frustrated and they can react poorly when they think an employee is doing it for all the wrong reasons. So you've got to be very careful on that end. And then at the other end, when it's all resolved as an employer, you've got to make sure you don't do anything that compromises that employee's interest if it's motivated in whole or in part by the employee having availed, as they say, himself or herself of the rights under the occupational health and safety legislation.
0: As this whole phased reopening of business and society continues, what are the steps that uh, empl- employers should be taking to make sure that uh, things are safe, things are productive, everyone feels comfortable, and we have some semblance of normal operating units again?
1: Yeah, so as we move, you know as we move along in this process, uh, we want to continue to make sure employees feel safe. So there are a number of steps that will vary you know, from company to company. So we want to maintain the physical distancing, right? We've all heard that. But when you actually drill down and look at your workplace and look at what your work activity is, how are you going to do it? So it's easy to say, but how do you do it? There was a park in New York that put circles all over the park. (laughs) So people would stay within the circle, right? Unlike it would. You know, we've heard in the media there are a lot of young people in particular congregate in parks and can get pretty close to one another. So when you actually drill down, how do you do it? So you got to think about it. How do you do it? Right. If people can work from home, as we've talked about that, and work remotely with success, um, now the perception of success, employer versus employee, may be a little different. But at the end of the day, remember, employees will perceive it's worked. So if you don't think it worked, then you have to figure out a way to be convincing in that regard uh, that it didn't work, right? Daily screening of workers, right? That's, you know, are we going to, and many employers are doing it right now, of course, asking employees to self-screen. And when I say self-screen, you go on a government website and do a self-assessment. I take a questionnaire so that the employers com- comfortable when you show up and your coworkers are comfortable when you show up that we've all as coworkers have done a self assessment before we've walked in the door a lot of employers are electing to get the you know thermal thermometers and literally do a temperature check on the way in Right, so the idea is, let's make sure you don't have a fever. Now, look, it may relate, be completely unrelated to COVID-19, but so be it. We don't want anybody in the workplace who has any of the symptoms.
0: Do you know if there's, uh, Stuart? Do you know if there's any resources that employers can go to in order to get ideas like this? I mean, some of them might not have a clue that the th- thermometers like these exist or where to find them. Uh, how How do they get started in terms of thinking about the issues and what the resources and opportunities are out there to make it safer?
1: Okay, yeah, great question. The best place to go literally is go on to wherever province you operate in, the government websites. They are absolutely replete with information regarding the guidelines that are also recommended by industry associations as to what to do. So that is without question. I know we make fun of government. And, of course, they deserve it from time to time. Um, um, That, you know, I won't go on the record, of course, of saying that, but I guess I just did. Uh. Um, The um, so but the information that's available is really some very, very good information. So that's literally where you go and it'll set out a wide variety of steps that you can take and what further resources to access if you want further information.
0: Right. Are there any human rights considerations regarding getting back to work?
1: Yes, indeed there are. Uh, And that can take a wide variety of uh, permutations. So, for example, um, if using Ontario as the example, um, you can't discriminate on the basis of family status and family status is parent-child so with all the challenges related to childcare right now and leaving apart there are actually statutory leaves now that protect but even if we're outside of that using that example i've got to accommodate an employee of mine who has childcare issues or elder care for that matter issues and so we're employees who come forward and say look i i can't come in or my hours are restricted Because of my elder care responsibility or my child care responsibility, as an employer, you're obliged to accommodate. Now, there's a whole process for that, which requires the employee cooperate in providing information. Uh, But yes, that's one of the areas. Similarly, there's what's called a prohibited ground of discrimination based on disability which virtually means, so COVID-19 is likely a disability from a human rights perspective. So that means you can't discriminate against me because maybe I did have COVID-19, but you just are uncomfortable with the idea of me coming in.
0: Right. There are so many areas uh, that, you know, the average business owner doesn't really understand or know about. Um, And, of course, calling in the experts can be a, 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 a daunting proposition because uh, uh, because of costs and fees and time um, how do what's the best way for business owners to understand what the rules are and understand what the what what, what, what their rights are and what employee rights are again I guess government websites might help um, and we can talk about in, in a minute about the package that you have, because I think it's made in some ways for entrepreneurs to give them a resource they can turn to and trust. But just in general, how do, how, how do employers know what they can and can't do in turbulent times like this?
1: That's a difficult question to answer because um, I, I would say to you, I'm a Canadian human resources leader. I'm also an employment and labor lawyer. And I can tell you the human resources space has metamorphosized into a legal discipline over the last ten years. You add the complexity now of COVID-19, um, and you have such a layered complexity of legal compliance requirements that it's indeed a challenge. Uh, the, the, but the but the bottom but the bottom line is from. Um, an employer perspective is if you if you do the things that quite frankly intuitively you would understand as an employer is likely to be the the best way to advance your business interests and your your employees uh, individual personalized interests then you're likely going to do a good job and have limited static. The the, the problem is, as we all know, there are individuals who aren't particularly altruistic, uh, and, and they do take advantage where they can. Um, and, and that creates a problem, and that's when, you, as an employee, you often find yourself in a position where you said, you know what, I didn't protect my interests as well as I could have. And so, without having taken those at least taken those steps to mitigate risk to reduce my exposure as an employer um, i'm always a little bit vulnerable and 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 just you know and i know you mentioned you you talk about our program but apart from our program the idea is you want three things to happen as, as an employer you want to be able to mitigate risk protect your interests contractually or otherwise you want to get a return on investment on human capital It's typically your most expensive or one of the most expensive operating cost components. So you need a return on investment. You need to know how to manage human capital. And then third, who's doing the HR work? Am I doing it in house or am I getting somebody else to assist me in that regard so that I can focus on my core business activity? So if you at least do the first two, you're likely gonna succeed because you're getting that return on investment and you're protecting your interests. If you keep those two sort of um, overarching objectives in mind, you'll do a pretty good job.
0: Okay, let me tell. Let me ask you a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey because you're not just a lawyer. You've uh, you, you, you you've you've founded a, a law firm, but but you've also created a platform uh, that changes the way legal services are provided and hopefully, I guess, solve some of the uh, barriers that we've uh, been alluding to here. But tell me a little bit about, before we talk about that platform, tell me a little bit about the the vision that went into it and in your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, so, Rick, you know, I'm
1: no different than any other entrepreneur. And as we talked at the outset of our conversation today, um, you do what you do. And then all of a sudden, you know, the revelation starts to hit you. Well, it's not being done properly. There's another way to do this. Exactly what happened to me. Um, uh, to, to, to paint the picture, um, I'm, uh, I'm on the 53rd floor looking out of my, you know, it's a nice office. Um, and I'm watching planes land. And I'm on the phone with a client. And I'm billing them by hour. And it's exorbitant. And I'm answering questions that from my perspective, there's 80% common sense, given my experience in HR legal area. And I said, this is
0: crazy. So I said, we gotta change it. So- Sorry, what was was crazy about it? You were making too much money? (laughs)
1: Um, The client was spending too much money. Uh, Let's describe it that way. Um, So the client is definitely, definitely spending too much money. And I'm looking at it going, this does not work for this small and even medium business. So I said, all right, well, how do we got to change this? Well, number one, we've got to make it unlimited support for a fixed fee. That's number one. Forget it. forget this idea of billable hour. It's, it creates anxiety. The client doesn't tell you what they need to tell you because they're so concerned about the clock. Right. Forget the clock let's just make it unlimited. And then secondly, let's bring in non-lawyers. Non-lawyers, HR people work together. And and there were regulatory changes that allowed that to happen. And then, you know, E2R was born where we put HR people together with employment and labor lawyers. We went out to the market and said, all right, it's unlimited. Unlimited. And we do it based on the number of employees. That's the way the cost structure works. So we're talking incredibly low fees. It's astounding when people hear what the monthly fees can be for a small employer of one to 10 employees. Tell me about it. Well, for example, the the, the program for unlimited verbal advice and all these reference materials that they can access um, is like
0: 229 a month. That's probably lower than that old hourly rate while you were watching the airplanes.
1: Halfway through my coffee, I had eaten that up. Um, So, 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 Rick, it's just no surprise, and because of and coinciding with COVID nineteen, the contract terms are, you know, you can contract for a term of three months only if you want.
0: That's it. That's pretty. So you can get
1: through COVID. Three months, unlimited verbal advice, all these additional. Sort of educational materials are available as well. It's an amazing, amazing program. So have you been expelled by the Law Society yet? Um, They're uh, very pleased. We're we're actually what's called uh, an MDP, a multidisciplinary practice certified by the Law Society. It's the other law firms that hold on to the traditional model of billing on an hourly basis. They're the ones that perhaps aren't my best friends.
0: Um, that, I mean, that, that that sounds incredible. Tell tell me a little bit about what this business is. Is it just uh, sort of a label? Is it growing? Is it uh, does it employ a lot of people? Is it exploding? What's happening?
1: Yeah. So we've uh, you know we've been at this for some time now. We continue to grow. We have coverage right across Canada, um, and it's exciting to be part of every single industry. And we're constantly coming up with a new wrinkle on the program and what the service offering is going to be to do something a little different. Um, You know, we've added a recruitment element even to our program not all that long ago. Well, we actually, resumes come to us, we vet them, we do initial telephone screens. So remember when I said about that third component of sort of the fundamental deliverables as it were that any employer wants to wants to be able to achieve from a human resources perspective the third one I mentioned was the offloading do you outsource well think about the labor intensive aspect of even recruiting for one position absolutely well we do it much of that so so yeah so we're always looking at the market seeing what does the market need now how can we respond COVID-19 arrived and we said okay we've got to respond to that
0: and, and so we, we introduce very short-term contracts now. So, so, so help me understand this. So you're a partner and a co-founder in the, in the law firm wow. and E2R is part of that or separate from that?
1: E2R is part of the law firm and, and that's exactly it. It's part of the law firm. So actually clients, um, you know, benefit, we do this whole preferential rates for areas outside of what we do, so corporate work. So, you know, for obviously entrepreneurs who have shareholder agreements, they need to incorporate, all right, their minute books and all that, they all get preferred rates if they're on board on the
0: E2R program. Right. And where does one go for more information about the E2R program?
1: Well, the uh, there's the, the website, if they just look it up, E2R, that's all there and available. And, of course, we're part of the Ceridian family as well. Uh, so all of you out there thinking of, you know, doing getting your payroll, uh, uh, if you outsource that to a reputable organization, you can't do better than Ceridian. And and, and so,
0: you know, we've been a part of the Ceridian family now for as I said, almost 17 years. Holy cow. Can I ask how many clients do you have in the E2R program? How big a deal is it?
1: Well, we've uh, we've got probably, you know, well, an X north of 300. Um, at this moment and uh, and so it's you know it's a it's a it's a great great I can tell you as a practicing lawyer uh, there's no better way to practice Uh, no better way you mentioned the passion before Um, I'm as passionate now perhaps more so 17 18 years later after starting this than I was at the outset
0: how does it change the relationship between the the lawyer and the client, and as a client I'm thinking the small business owner, when they know the clock isn't ticking.
1: Oh, that's a great ah, oh, so glad you asked that, Rick. It fundamentally changes the exchange. Because when you're on the billable hour just think about Rick you were asking me a question let's say about human rights obligations in a particular circumstance well you're looking you're, you're hoping I can get to the answer as fast as possible and when I ask you additional factual questions that I want to elicit from you and you know they're probably relevant but you're getting frustrated because it's costing a lot of money <laughs> exactly 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 yes it's exa- it's anxious 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 and I even though I can talk like I'm from New York um, <laughs> It, it At the end of the day, it's not a comfortable interaction. When you remove that pressure, not only do I get to know who your dogs are, your kids are, where you went on vacation, which already creates the human interaction, with which will always benefit the support you're going to get as a client. Now you're comfortable in saying, you know what, you mentioned that three years ago, John said this in the meeting. That wouldn't have come out before. And then when you tell me that, I go, he did, well now we understand his orientation these last three years, right? So we have a, and, and what happens invariably, Rick, is you, let's say we're talking about circumstance A. By the end of our conversation, we're into B and C. That wasn't even planned. So now we're proactively taking steps to minimize, let's call it, a, a, a negative
0: circumstance that, 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 that may arise. Right, and and when you do that, uh, part of this change relationship is that, you know, in the back of the client's mind, and particularly entrepreneurs, because every penny they spend is their own, uh, they're thinking he's only bringing this up to prolong the conversation, and so when that barrier is removed, when they th- then they know you're you're really thinking about them first.
1: Uh, and Rick, it's not in our best interest, right? Let's just be frank about it from a business modeling perspective. It's not in our best interest to have a long conversation. <laughs> right? It's not. But right. we. But but we. By the way, an unapologetic high-end service provider. We do not apologize. We are high-end, and so our attitude is no. We are going to have an in-depth conversation um, if appropriate. I mean, of course, we're not going to take our clients' time unnecessarily. Obviously. Right. But but. The client knows exactly what you just said, Rick. They know if we're having asking a lot of questions, it's because it's in their interest to give us those answers because they know it's not in our interest to prolong the conversation. So what have we established? Credibility.
0: Right. And, and it's credibility and trust, which I think is and the trust. most important thing. So yeah. just to wrap up here, the website is www.e2solutions.com. E2R Solutions. E- Sorry, so E2R, E2R Solutions. Yes, indeed. And so you're based in Toronto, but it's available to anyone across the country. Exactly. Right. And just as we head out, we like to ask uh, our, our, our guests to come up with one little bit of actionable advice that people can, uh, that our listeners can, can put into execution right away. But since... You're, you're wearing two hats here today. I'm going to ask for two. One good piece of legal advice and one good piece of business building advice from your career.
1: Okay. With respect to the first, you've got to do right now what's often referred to as a hazard assessment. So take a look at your workplace now. Figure out what you need to do to best protect your employees and then convey that to them so they're comfortable coming back to work. Don't just take the steps, tell them because you're trying to persuade them in part to come back to work. So convince them you've done everything necessary. That's number one. Number two, uh, in terms of the entrepreneurial side, um, you know, this is my perception. Uh, I started out as an employment and labor lawyer and a Canadian human resources leader many years ago and I said how can I change what I do so I took my toolbox of expertise and I said I got to be able to introduce another tool so that the client and put myself on the client side perceives they're getting serviced in a better way Um, and so I didn't venture too far afield um, stayed within my bailiwick but I knew there was a way within that within that area that I could find a better way to service clients. And, and and lo and behold, we're here today.
0: I'm a huge believer that uh, a lot of institutions in our society need to have this sort of entrepreneurial refit uh, where people look at it and say, how can we make this work better for both sides? So I'm delighted to hear that you're, you're bringing that type of vision and innovation into the legal area where everyone – where we, we need that we need that help we need those resources and we need better solutions so so thank you for being um a, a role model and a leader in doing that and uh, and and thanks so much for being a guest on our podcast and sharing this advice i think what it all comes down to is communication and trust uh, between the lawyer and the client and then between that client who's a business owner and their team
1: when you gain the trust Of those that you work with and for, boy, you're 94% down the road.
0: Absolutely. We've been talking to Stuart Dukoff, founder of E2R, and uh, a a partner with Wilgar Van Wicken, Cosgriff Dukoff in Toronto. Uh, A tremendous conversation, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks very much, Rick. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.